Welcome to the Geniuses of Copywriting Podcast, a peek into the minds and strategies of the world's greatest copywriters, marketers, and persuasion experts. And now, here's your host, Brian Cassangina. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Geniuses of Copywriting Podcast. Uh, I've, got, I've got a very special guest uh, on the podcast today. Um, uh, he's a, a true legend of the industry and it's not really meant to be like a, uh, a, a poke and fun about the, the amount of time you've been doing this, although that, that certainly gives you a level of credibility. So Drayton Bird, thanks for coming on the call with me. My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ever since we um, uh, spoke at the, uh, the event in, uh, in, uh, in Poland together um, earlier this year, um, you know, I've really uh, followed a lot of your stuff, and and uh, but um, let's uh, start with um, uh, your story and uh, where you where you come from, because uh, um, I know I, I know a couple of things that uh, that, that we're going to uh, cover, but I, I, lo- I love to hear uh, straight from the horse's mouth. Well, this particular horse um, has been at this game for fifty odd years. Um, I started out as a journalist and realised I wouldn't, couldn't make any money. <laughs> Went into advertising um, in Manchester, which is where I was really brought up. Uh, but there was no money in Manchester. The, the basic deal in Manchester with the employer and the employee was that the employer would play the employee as little as possible. <laughs> and I always remember when my first book came out, which was a novel back in 1964, I was interviewed on television by Parkinson, and um, and he asked me, uh, and he had a show then up in Manchester called uh, Scene at 6.30. And he said, why are you deserting the North? Um, which was bloody hilarious because he proceeded to do exactly the same thing <laughs> the next year. And I said, well, yeah. because nobody will pay me any money here. In, Man- in, in Manchester, they, they, they say, well, keep this young bugger down. Don't pay him too much. Whereas in London, they would say, he seems a bright young lad. We'll pay him a lot of money. So I mm. got out of Manchester and Liverpool, where I had my first job, um, went down to London, uh, worked for an agency called Leo Burnett, where I was actually trained one day by the original of uh, Don Draper and Mad Men. The, the, the character that, that Don Draper was mostly based on was a man called Draper Daniels, who worked at Leo yeah. Burnett in Chicago. Yeah, that's Leo Burnett was, about to ask you. was the agency I was working for, and he came along with another guy to teach us how to present. Um, after that, I became a creative director of an agency, not only about 80 odd people. Uh, and then I, I was very keen to, to get rich through my order. Yeah. <laughs> how naive. Um, <laughs> And um, I tried a number of things, and eventually I was responsible for selling a thing called the Bullworker, which was sold all over the world. And, and strangely enough, lots of copywriters seem to have used it. <laughs> the Bullworker? Um, yeah, it's a bodybuilding device. Uh, okay. It's sold. My copy ran all over the world Japan, Africa, everywhere. Um, so that's how I really got started in the, on the entrepreneurial side of the mail order business. And then I started an agency. I started a business with a friend. We went broke. We went broke so spectacularly. And I had so much money to the tax man that I spent the next seven years living under a false name. Wow. Working all over the world, including Australia, oddly enough. Um, and uh, <clears throat> eventually... Uh, I decided uh, with some friends to start a direct marketing agency. And at that time, we're talking about 1970, uh, 77. Direct marketing was beginning to come up. um, And within three and a half years, we were the biggest direct marketing agency in in Britain. And we were bought by Ogilvy and Mather because I have a conversation I had with David Ogilvy. Then I became uh, the worldwide creative head of Ogilvy Direct, which is now called Ogilvy One. That's, I, don't even, I think it's all called Ogilvy now. And I worked with David for about eight years. Um, then I started my own business again, an agency. That, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a one-trick pony. I've done the same damn thing uh, for all <laughs> these years. And I still 
bang out a copy every day. But at the yeah. moment, I'm in a state of advanced panic and misery because um, I've been working for the last few months on my autobiography, uh, which is called You Did What? Mainly because even I can't believe some of the things I've done. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's coming out today. It's, it's, being, it's going to print in about half an hour. So I'm sitting here, S-H-I-T-T-I-N-G, myself. <laughs> but it's got a very good... Um, it's got a very, very good uh, introduction by a man I trained, who's now the vice chairman of Ogilvy and Mather here. Very mm -hmm. funny introduction. Um, mm -hmm. And away we go. It's uh, yeah, my fifth book, and I'm yeah. not sure I could stand the, the, the pressure <laughs> again. <laughs> well, I think this one's gonna gonna be the best yet. Uh, uh, if any any of the stories that you were telling. Um, during the, the event in Poland, uh, yeah, if that's anything to go on, it's going to be very interesting and an interesting yeah, book. That was the, one of the worst birthday presents I've ever had. What a <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Crook said, come over to Poland and we'll celebrate your birthday. And all I got was a load of hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has that effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> and the strange thing is I used to live with a Polish girl years ago. I've, I've mm. actually had the unique distinction, well, finally, of being of having three women uh, try to kill me. Oh, she really? was the second. Um, <laughs> the third was my last wife, and the the <laughs> the very first one was a lady I was living with when I was in the advertising business, and I I <laughs> I came home one day, and this lady actually, her previous profession had been uh, providing. Uh, refreshment for gentlemen of a sexual nature and she'd been fitted up by the police and had had to get a proper job as part of her probation yeah and the proper job she got was being my secretary <laughs> and boy she taught me a few things um <laughs> but strangely enough uh bearing in mind what she'd done for a living previously she was the most jealous woman i'd ever met and she tried to kill me she tried to stab me Right. If I hadn't been wearing a beautiful new mushroom suede coat, which I still miss, I would be dead. Um, so that, 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 that's how I got to my first adventure in the world of romance. That's not true. My, I had at least <laughs> one before that. Um, first of many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm really looking at for the book to come out. Um, is that going to be on, on Amazon or your own site? It's going to be, we're, we're, it's, we're, we're producing, printing it ourselves. Um, we've got, oh, I think something like 400,000 emails going out from various people. Some of the people actually uh, that we met in Poland uh, are promoting it. Um, yeah. And I'm yeah. going to have a big, this is actually interesting for those of you who study, and I suppose you, you all do study marketing, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this. David Ogilvy, when I worked with him, had a concept which he called orchestration. And essentially it was uh, the idea, pretty obvious when you think about it, um, but very often obvious things are overlooked. In fact, I always remember an Indian, the brilliant Indian I worked with at Ogilvy, who ran India for us, and he, he once started a speech by saying the obvious is always overlooked. So mm. what Ogilvy's idea was if you got all the media all together to launch the same products at the same time, as he put it, you should give many instruments one big noise. So I've got a lot of people, in fact, uh, six days from now, um, We'll be sending out emails all over the place to pester people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to um, uh, uh, send out an email to my list as well. So I'm going to get I'm going to get back to your lovely PA on that. Um, oh, I definitely. Uh, Matt, yeah. that you met, um, he's he's promoting it. Um, I think he's the. I think he's got a very large list, sixty or thousand or something like that. Hmm. That's that's uh, a good size, but yeah. Um, I've yeah, lost yeah. count of how many people are actually sending things <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, uh, when you do a big broadcast like that, you sort of, uh, that the book is instantly going to be everywhere. Like, 
uh, in everyone everyone's inboxes. So. Well, it's it's it should do. I mean, one always worries. I, I I think that people are, in my experience of business, that the people who are confident, overconfident, are idiots. Yeah. Um, yeah. The people that I've worked with who are really good are the people who worry. Ogilvy used to worry terribly. Mm. Um, the people I found who are no good at all are the ones who think they're wonderful and spend their lives yeah. passing themselves on the back. True. I think if you want to succeed in any activity whatsoever, the first thing you should give thought to is what can go wrong. <laughs> um, the great, uh, probably the best business writer of the 20th century, certainly one of the best business writers was Peter Drucker. And Peter Drucker mm. once said the first aim of business is to avoid making a loss. So yeah, that, yeah. that's the way I start. I always start with everything. If I've got to make a speech to someone, I always think what can go wrong. Mm. Uh, if I've got to, I don't just sort of bounce onto the platform and start talking rubbish. I, I wait for a few minutes, then I start talking rubbish. But <laughs> I, always, <laughs> I spend uh, a lot of time. I would say if I've got to make a, um, an, an, a speech for an hour, presentation for an hour, It'd probably take me a couple of weeks uh, to sort out exactly what I'm going to say because once you've worked out exactly what you're going to say, then you can focus on how you're going to say it. This is like the mm. difference in marketing between strategy and tactics. Everybody nowadays uses the word strategy very loosely. They they apply yeah. it to very very simple things that you're doing. That's really tactics. Yeah, strategy is the whole basis, the whole approach. The whole way you're thinking about things, the yeah. whole way you're positioning something. I mean, if you take the book, um, the book is called You Did What? And I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, the title. The title yeah. is the headline. Um, the first book I ever wrote when I was 26, I think, 25, was called Some Rats Run Faster. And I always thought about the title. It's just, the title is just like the headline in your ad, the subject line in your email. Yeah. People tend to write stuff without thinking. What is the most important element in this? Again, Ogilvy used to say that uh, 75 people will, will never get beyond the headline, 75%. Mm. Um, so that's what you must spend your time thinking about. How do I get people interested? It's rather the same on a, a different scale of, of importance. It's rather like um, thinking about how you can improve what you sell. How you can improve what you sell is infinitely more important than what you, you know, how you sell it. The first thing is, how can I offer a better product? The, Lester Wonderman, who started an agency, died a couple of years ago. I nearly sold my business to him, actually. His brother, he had a brother who said something very interesting. He said, the most important question in marketing is to whom are you offering what ultimate benefit? That's what you have to spend your time thinking about. Mm. When you're thinking about what kind of business should I have? And when you're thinking about how do I talk about this business, how do I present it, how do I sell it, it's all about to whom am I offering what ultimate benefit? You know, it's, um, but people don't think deeply enough about marketing. They're, they're very slapdash. And, and I would suggest, in fact, that in my lifetime, uh, people have become much sloppier. And mm. they've become much sloppier for two or three reasons. And the first is that there is such a huge number of options um, today whereby you can sell. Uh, that's a confusing factor. The second is even more tricky, which is that these options uh, can often fuddle you when you consider what you should be doing. You're so busy looking at your options. You're not thinking about the essential thing. Why the hell should anyone buy this? And can I, well, you have to picture in your mind, who am I talking to? Um, mm. There was a, a great uh, advertising man called Fairfax Cone, who was a, a, one of the founders of a huge agency called Foot Cone and Belding. 
And I once saw somebody describe uh, how he went about reviewing copy. Yeah. And he used to sit, he'd, he'd, he'd review the copy by, uh, read it, so on, and then he'd look at the copyright and he'd say, would you say that to someone you know? <laughs> <laughs> and if you read the shit, the absolute shit that you see today, particularly on the internet, <laughs> yeah. uh, you have to say, would I say that to someone? No, I saw something this morning because yeah. I'm fascinated by everything to do with communication. And it was an email and it said the best digital statistics we've seen this week. That was the head of thing. And I thought that's right. is rather like somebody uh, just saying, this is the biggest pile of dog shit I've just jumped in this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm amazed at the stuff that goes on. Anyhow, I should shut up. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'd uh, rather you not shut up because I'm, I'm really enjoying this, you know. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the perspective of somebody who's uh, been in the industry for a long time and done all the stuff that, that you've done, I mean, some of the adventures that uh, I can't wait to read about uh, in your book, both real life and in the business world, although I suppose the two of them merge a lot of the time, I would imagine. Well, what's interesting is... Uh... The way things have changed in two respects, two particular respects. Let's take one. The very first job I ever got, in, um, which was in Liverpool, I was desperate. I, I discovered sex. Um, and the, as soon as I discovered sex, I unfortunately hadn't discovered contraception. Um, and so I find myself uh, with a wife and a child and no money, living yeah. in a house in a suburb of Manchester called Ashton under Lyme. Um, and uh, I, I didn't know, I, I was working as a, a journalist, making hardly any money, six pounds a week, I think, seven pounds a week. Mm. <laughs> Gives you an idea what's happened to money. Um, <laughs> and a friend of mine said to me, he says, you know, you do well in advertising. I knew nothing about advertising. Actually, most people in advertising still know nothing about <laughs> yeah, advertising. <laughs> That's another subject. And it, but, um, so I went to the library and I read, I looked for all the books and advertising, both of them. I found both of them. One was no good, but one was a very good uh, book called Copy, The Core of Advertising. And it was by a man with a strange name, Aesop Glim. It was actually, a, it wasn't his real name, it was a pen name. But I'd always been interested in going into the law, but I, I could see that it was a hard way to make money. The chances were against you. And uh, at that time, anyhow, and uh, I suddenly realized when I read this book, this is what, this is like the commercial equivalent of the law. You're persuading people to buy this rather than that, as opposed to mm -hmm. saying you're persuading somebody to say they're, they're not guilty when they are or whatever it may be. Yeah? Yeah. So I was completely fascinated by that. And so I then did something which most people don't do. I went to read any book on advertising I could get. Huh? Mm. I mean, I remember talking about six years ago to a, an audience which had a number of people from Ogilvy and Mather in it. And I asked them how many had read Ogilvy on advertising, which is one of the best books ever written on the subject. Most of them hadn't read it. And I said, what is your problem? I said, that's like saying you're a Christian, but you've never read the Bible. The people are staggeringly ignorant. And they're encouraged to be ignorant. What I did, in fact, was I, in my first job, they gave me three things to do. One was yeah. to write some advertisements for a chain of restaurants. One was to write a brochure about seed cleaning machinery. Yeah. <laughs> Very technical. Seed cleaning? Never heard the other it. was to write what they called a salesman's organizer. That's the thing that salesmen took around when they were doing a pitch to a customer. And that was for a brand of sausages, which still exists called Richmond Pork Sausages. So they gave me three entirely different things to do, different media, different kinds of products. Mm. And in those days, it was expected that you could do these things. Whereas nowadays, people specialize. People say, what niche are you in? Or in America, they say, yeah. what niche? Um, <laughs> well, I'm not in any bloody niche or niche. As far as I'm concerned, if you've got it and you want to sell it, I'll sell it for you. And I don't think people think that way now. And I think it's a great loss. Um, yeah, I agree. I think the other thing that's happened is um, 
the greatest development in of the online business, the greatest aspect of the online business is that it discourages people from thinking. And a very good example is LinkedIn. And you look at LinkedIn and what LinkedIn does is it basically says, uh, we'll we just do what we say and you'll do okay and we'll do it all mm. for you. You don't have to think, you know. So you write to somebody and they, they, they don't have to think, they say yes, no, maybe, great, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. not actually required to sit down and bloody write something. Yeah? The whole thing is geared to prevent you to think. Yeah. Mm. If you take something like Alexa, it's geared to make it easy. Yeah. And, and when yeah. it's easy, it means you don't have to think. And the yeah. brain is the biggest muscle in the body. It needs fucking exercise. Yeah. Yeah, and all these things that are preventing people from doing the things they need to do to succeed in the big wide world. What you need to do to succeed is to have to fight. Yeah, if mm. you don't fight, you become flabby. Your brain becomes flabby, and you fail. And people do mm. not study. I mean, I I have a, a website which, with a very very original name, Drake and Bird. <laughs> it's called drakeandbird.com. <laughs> about that. Um, and at the top right, I, I, I say, how would you like 51 helpful ideas? And I also say, and how would you like a copy of the best book on advertising ever written? And I don't know mm. how many people who are listening to this, but I'll tell you, I know most of them have not read this book. Mm. Absolutely certain. The book, of course, is Scientific Advertising, written in 1926. The best book ever written about advertising. Uh, it's only 42 pages long, didn't take a long time to read. David Ogilvy said, this book changed the course of my life. I must have read it 20 times. Most people in advertising haven't read it. Most people in mm. marketing haven't read it. Crazy. Mm. People are just very, very ignorant. What, what, so many of them uh, come into this business because somebody says, um, oh, I'm going to teach you to be a copywriter even if you can't bloody read or write, you know? So yeah, promises true. are made. Promises are made on the internet today that would have had you shot years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I remember in the the seventies when I was living under a false name. I, I lived under the name of my my second wife's first husband, David yeah. D. McMahon. I was known for for mm. for seven years because I owed so much money from the tax man because I'd gone broke that I had to hide. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do all these things in those years that you didn't have to do, uh, you know, that were hard, hard work. I remember going to Australia trying to sell swimming pools. Fancy going to Australia trying to sell swimming pools. I went to Australia trying to sell fake Chagall paintings. <laughs> all sorts oh, of yeah. things to make money. <laughs> yeah. But people, yeah, what's don't, the, uh, people don't know what they're doing nowadays. They really yeah. are. What's the uh, um, what's the strangest thing that you've done to make money? Um, one of the strangest, and I did many, many. I mean, I, the number of things I did during the seven years when I saw I was in the wilderness. Um, I saw swimming pool franchises in France and Germany, and I remember the and I'd never sold. I, I hate selling. I'm very frightened of you know face to face selling. I'm a writer. And I was sent to France by this ex-mafia guy that I was working for called Sammy Gold. Yeah. And I, I knew some people in the advertising business in Paris and I managed to get one of them uh, to lend me an office. And I ran an ad in Le Figaro, which is a bit like the Times and one of the two big yeah. papers in France. Um, and it got lots of replies. And um, I'd, I got I'd booked the office and uh, what the first prospect came in uh, and I speak a bit of French and I said, uh, est-ce que vous parlez anglais, monsieur? Do you speak English, sir? Absolument pas. He said, no, absolutely not. My French came back <laughs> very, very quickly. <laughs> and eventually, I, I don't know, maybe 20 people I saw. One man was interested and he, his name was Monsieur Le Comte Philippe Jalon de Labeau. He was an aristocrat. Mm. And he had a lot of money. Um, yeah. I sold him France. 
<laughs> I sold in France, and I sold in France. Uh, we did. We closed the deal in a club on the Ile de France in, in Paris. And afterwards, he introduced me to a very, very agreeable young lady with whom I spent the night. And at the t- I didn't realise it at the time, but now I come to think of it now. He prob- he, she, she was probably doing it for money, but we're, I think we had a great time. <laughs> so then I, Sammy Gold, my boss, he said, right, go and do Germany. Now, I don't speak German. Mm. I went to Germany and I wasn't able to sell. I just sold a bit of Germany. <laughs> yeah, only a little bit. <laughs> and the sum was, uh, how shall I say, very casual. And I was staying in this big hotel called the Hesseschhof, a posh hotel in Frankfurt. I couldn't pay the bill. Sammy had vanished. Um, mm. And I remember, what the hell am I going to do? And I was living on sandwiches and, and that sort of thing. Where was he? And it turned out he'd gone to Ireland or some jaunt or other, and eventually he got me out of there. But that was a terrifying experience. Yeah. So I didn't like doing that. Um, didn't like not doing. That. I think trying to sell fake Chagall paintings in Australia—that was pretty <laughs> odd as well. <laughs> yeah, there was a very yeah. famous fake painter, and I was trying to flog his stuff. Um, and I stayed with my my second wife was a Maori princess, and she gone to Australia she was actually quite well known and when I met her I thought she was bullshitting me because she said that told me about all the people she'd met Frank Sinatra did I did I did yeah and until I didn't discover a little later that what she told me was true and her best friend was the mistress of the crime lord of Sydney whose name I can't remember (laughs) but she, she was extraordinary I went to stay with her, her, her mother and father, her stepfather, who lived in Sylvania Waters. And I yeah. always remember that was the first uh, time and only time I ever caught a fish. <laughs> 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 but I used to go to Australia a lot, a lot. Um, yeah. Do you, you live in Thailand? No, we travel around. Yeah, we live in Thailand. But uh, um, uh, yeah, the first 40 years of my life, uh, I grew up in Australia. Yeah, no, I, I thought you were Aussie. Um, well, I I um, I used to go to Thailand as well, um, and I remember going to the the Golden Triangle um, up uh, not it's not Chiang Mai. Is it Chiang Mai? Yeah, Chiang Mai's at the top. Chiang Rai. Um, uh, yeah, that, that, it's, that's it's a, Chiang Rai. That's I remember going up on the on the river in a boat in a canoe with a, a, a an armed soldier. Yeah. And uh, sleeping on the floor, and I loved it. I used to go to Thailand quite a lot, and I always remember <laughs> one of the jobs I had at Ogilvy and Maida was to run the American Express uh, business. And I, so I would go to every uh, every country, and I would deal with the American Express people. I'd done. do a seminar for them, meet the boss, did da da And I always remember in Thailand that the boss of American Express was Greek. And we had lunch and he told me what it was like there. He said, the culture here is a bit different. Mm. Um, and he said, the, the, he had one client who, who had one American Express card and seven supplementary cards. And I said, what are those for? He said, they're for his mistresses. <laughs> he said, every time one of his mistresses ignores him, he takes her off the car. Yeah. <laughs> So I had um, I had interesting times because I, I was a bit of a wild bugger when I was younger, yeah. <laughs> and I always remember that there was a girl in London. There was a a, a a survey in the advertising manager magazine to see who were the most employable people, who would people most like to employ in advertising. And the first person was Martin Sorrell, whom I I worked for later. And the second person was my receptionist in my agency in Soho, Marvell. <laughs> very sexy black girl. Very fond of her. Mm. And um, I used to, uh, people all thought, all thought oh, I was having an affair with her, which I wasn't. We had one or two pleasant evenings, but nothing more. Um, mm. And I was one evening I was there and I uh, and there was this absolutely stunning girl, very tall about, also black, but American. 
who's a friend of hers. And um, I said, why don't you come for a drink, you two? So I took them out for a drink. And, and I said to the American girl, after I had a few drinks, I said, would you like to come around the world? She said, what? I said, would you like to come around the world with me? I'm going around the world, because that's what I used to do. I'd go from one office to another. Yeah. She said, you're kidding. I said, I'm not kidding. She said, why? And I said, because my wife is always late. So I did, if you can guarantee you can turn up on time, you can come around the world with me. So um, off we went around the world, including Australia, I remember, uh, where we stayed, of course, in uh, in the English area, Manly. Where <laughs> 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 I still go, I've still got a very good friend there. Um, I was there two years ago. Um, and eventually we ended up, we were in San Francisco, I was staying in the San Francisco Inn. And the phone rang and the voice at the other end said, hi, honey, it was my wife. Yeah. Uh, and I said, oh, hi, how are you? She said, well, she said, uh, would you like to take me to dinner? I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> I said, where are you? She said, I'm here in town. I thought, oh. She said, oh, I've just been down to uh, LA to get my hair done by Diana Ross's hairdresser. That was her <laughs> way of telling me, I know what you've been up to and I've just cost yeah, you a yeah, lot yeah. of money. <laughs> I was just to the girl, the girl I was in bed with, I said, um, oh, I've got a bit, of a bit of a problem. <laughs> I said, we'd better get, get you another room. <laughs> so I went down to reception, I said, have you got another room? And they said, yeah, so they're, they're next to you. Is that the only one you've got? I said, yeah. So um, that night, of course, I felt I took my wife out, and I felt the least I ought to do is to make love to her. Um, so I was making love, and my sort of temporary friend was next door listening to me, and I heard her because she was from St. Louis. And I'd said, um, you better go home to St. Louis, and we'll meet in New York. And so I, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I would hear thump, 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 as uh, she's dragged her case downstairs to catch the plane to sit down. <laughs> so I, it, life was different then. <laughs> yeah, very different. <laughs> I don't know whether it was. I mean, I don't know what people do now because I'm 83, but um, <laughs> I still do try my best. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you, you did pretty well. Um, so, yeah, uh, was this, like... Um, was advertising and copywriting the the, the thing that uh, um, that allowed you to uh, have all these adventures, or um, is it more uh, you know an entrepreneurial drive that uh, that was behind all this? How do you I feel did, that? I, was? Did, I did both really. Um, I tried uh, to make money quite a few different ways, um, and I. I did, in fact, have one period in the late 60s uh, when my partner and I, he was a young guy, um, had a business. We were doing really well. We, we were featured in the Times as coming young men. <laughs> but unfortunately, we yeah. might have been cunning, but we weren't very cunning because we, we went into all kinds of stupid businesses. <laughs> and we went spectacularly broke. Yeah. And the reason that I was... Uh, traveling around doing all these strange things was because I owed so much money to the tax man. Mm. And um, so I kept on going back into advertising and doing different jobs for people. Um, and to be honest, the, 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 the big money that I made was when I sold my agency to Ogilvy. What happened was that um, somebody wrote a very stupid letter to campaign, which at that time was the advertising magazine. And, um, yeah. which suggested that David Ogilvy was, you know, passed it. And I wrote a letter saying this man's full of shit and not kissed to Dave, fit to kiss David Ogilvy's ass, etc. Yeah. And the next day, um, I got a phone call and I was sitting next to my PA. We had an open plan office in Covent Garden. And the voice at the other end said, David Ogilvy here, very, very nice letter you wrote. <laughs> so I sort of put my hand over this receipt, David Ogilvy. <laughs> the next thing that happened was I got another call the next day from the head of Ogilvy in 
in England, who was actually the most highly paid man in the British advertising business at that time. Very lovely man called Peter Warren. And he said, that was a very nice letter you wrote about David. <laughs> and I put my hand over, over the phone and turned to my PA and said, oh, we want to buy us. <laughs> <laughs> because we'd already been approached by eight of the top uh, 20 advertising agencies. They were all buying direct marketing agencies. Mm. And so I sold the business to Ogilvy for, for what I now realise was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but I suddenly realised that what the money that I got, the down payment I got, uh, would today probably be worth about a million pounds, you know. Wow. That That's was just, just the down, down payment. payment. Um, I managed to get rid of most of it, or rather my... my, my <laughs> My last wife did. Um, she she could spend people. I I used to do a talk about. Uh, I always had two standing jokes. One, one was um, about women being unpunctual. People would say the ah, oh, go on, Drake. Everyone's unpunctual. All women are unpunctual. I said, how about two bloody days late in Bombay? <laughs> so that was why I stopped going around the world with them. And then I'm saying the women are extravagant people. Oh, they're all extravagant. I said, I said, how about buying a bloody house without telling you? She bought a house without telling me. She bought a swimming pool complex, which cost more than the house and another house. And I say, where do you get the money from? She said, oh, don't worry, your credit's good. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I did not expect. I did not expect to be particularly successful. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly, I knew nothing about advertising, when, obviously, when I saw it, nor did anyone else, and nor do most of them now. Um, so I knew nothing about the, the business I went into. I knew nothing about business at all. Um, I just thought I'd, if I was lucky, I'd get a good job, we'd get over, and it just, I just happened to plunge into Somebody saying, you know, you do well in advertising. And then I, I studied and I discovered that hardly anyone else did. And I thought to myself, wow, what a fantastic business to go into where you're the only person who actually bothers to find out what the hell's going on. I said, this is really great. <laughs> and, and still, it's the same. It hasn't changed. I did a speech in uh, the last time I was in Australia, two years ago. I did a, so I went to New Zealand uh, afterwards and did a speech in, in Auckland and and then another one somewhere else, um, Wangarui or somewhere, I can't remember, Wanganui, because I had a friend there. Um, and I stood up in, uh, in uh, Auckland and I said, um, I said, I'm here to tell you something. Uh, it, it, if uh, doctors knew as little about medicine as marketers know about marketing, half the bloody population would die every year. Yeah? <laughs> I collect the kind of drivel that I, that I receive through the letterbox or I see online, because it's, it's, it's huge. Mm. People understand nothing about how to construct a headline, you know, what kind of headline works. They, they, they have no idea, they have no idea. They don't know what kind of illustration works. Um, they don't know how long the copy should be and when it should be shorter, when it should be longer. They don't know the options you offer when you ask people to reply. They, just, they know nothing. I think it's still a great business to go into as long as you realise that anybody who tells you it's easier is, is A, probably a liar, well, is a liar, and B, probably going to rip you off pretty quick. And you do get ripped off pretty quick now because the, the law, there is no uh, law... The internet is like the Wild West. Yeah. Yeah. You see some. You see somebody says, uh, I'm, "I'm. I live in Bristol." So you see a headline that says, uh, "Bristol woman thrilled to bits over funeral plan or something like that." You know? Yeah. Yeah. And nobody says, "What, what woman is this?" Mm -hmm. uh, show us where she said she was thrilled to bits. What funeral plan? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> nobody <laughs> takes these people to task. It's like the days in the old West when the medicine man would roll into town and sell people bottles of water. <laughs> claiming yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. So it's a world of, it's, it is a, the, the wild West. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's a silly world. I mean, I'm, so, yeah. I'm delighted and thrilled and glad to have managed to make a living. I um, do reasonably well and 
I mean, I've worked in 55 countries. I have. What other business would have enabled me to go round to all these countries? I don't recommend Kazakhstan, by the way, because the national dish there is horse. Uh, <laughs> Never tried it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, a, it's been a wonderful ride. And, and it's... Um, and I suppose uh, the reason that I, was, I wrote the book that I've just finished um, was I suddenly... It's, well, somebody said to me, somebody who worked for me, said to me... Um, you should write an autobiography. I said, that'd be ridiculous. She said, oh, no, you should. And I said, well, I said, I haven't done anything. I haven't fought any battles, won any wars, been courageous or heroic. I just played the fool for 50 years, you know. Um, and she said, no, you've had a very interesting life. And now that I look at it, um, I have had an interesting life. Um, and I doubt whether many other people have been as big a fool as I have. <laughs> I've actually, I worked, worked out the other day, I've, I have been run over uh, by a car. I was the first man in the north of England to recover from a ruptured liver. I've been knocked over by a motorbike. I've been through the windscreen of a car. I've been uh, stabbed by two women and nearly bled to death by being slashed by another. Um, I'm trying to think what I haven't been in, in any aeroplane accidents. I'm a train crash that year, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every stupid thing you can do has happened to me. So, and yeah, it, that's in line with working in a, a business um, that people are interested in. Uh, that, that, I mean, it's quite interesting. The other day, about two weeks ago, I read something online about Mad Men, you know, the television show. Yeah. And it said, this guy said, he said, the, the guy that I based Don Draper on for the most part was a man called Draper Daniels. And I thought, holy shit, I was trained by Draper Daniels <laughs> when I was at Leo Burnett. He came in. I never knew who he was. He was actually the highest paid copywriter in advertising at that time. And he came in with another guy um to teach us how to present and he was really funny um they would they told us a, they went to a presentation they'd done to a bank and you know somebody once said uh, i think it was the chairman of ibm so that nothing happens in business until something gets sold yeah? yeah yeah so learning to present was very important to me and I realized when I was watching these guys that what they did was they made it fun. I mean, mm. have you ever sort of thought, somebody said, oh, I'd like you to come to this presentation. Have you ever said, whoopee? <laughs> You'd always say, oh shit, not another. <laughs> you know, God, I think I'll go have a drink. <laughs> but they showed me, and David Ogilvy took me out to dinner one night. They took me out more than once, but um, in, in, in uh, a hotel in London. Um, very posh hotel in London. Uh, and um, halfway through the meal, he, he would say things with, uh, out of left field, whether you wouldn't expect them. He suddenly said to me, do you know the secret of success? This was actually in Claridge's in Mayfair. He said, do you know the secret of success in this business straight? And I said, no, David. He said, charm. And I remember my mother, this is how writing this has been interesting to me because it's sort of conflating two different things, business and personal. Because I remember my mother, when I was young, saying to me, Drayton, if only you were charming. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we had an absolutely impossible woman running the Portuguese office um, in Lisbon. And my partner in, in, in America, a lovely man, uh, Jerry Pickholz, rang me up from New York. And he said, do you think you can't try and sort that woman in Lisbon out? <laughs> and I well, said, what do you want me to do? He said, just go and be your normal charming self. And I thought, wow, if only my mother had heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so life is, is, is full of surprises. Um, some delightful, some not, but um, better than the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you become charming then? Well, I think, um, very good question. 
I think you become charming by just thinking about the other person. Mm. Thinking what would I do actually, by and large, uh, try to think of things that the other person would like to hear. Mm. I try to think of things that would make them happy. Yeah? Don't talk yeah. to them about the things that they're, don't tell them they're boring. <laughs> <laughs> tell them they're interesting. Tell them they're unusual. Yeah. Um, there was a very, very good story uh, told by a lady 150 years ago who had met the two great uh, British Prime Ministers, uh, Benjamin Disraeli and mm -hmm. Gladstone, met both of them. And somebody said to her, so what was the difference? And she, he said, she said, well, when I met Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the most interesting person I'd ever met. And then she said, but when I met Mr. Disraeli, I felt that I was the most interesting person. <laughs> and that, 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 that's really, that's the difference. Uh, and that's what marketing's about. You have to mm. persuade people that they are the most interesting people. You're interested in them. Huh? Mm. Nearly all the bad, if you take, let's say, if we were to sit down and sort all better to do and we're stupid, um, and so oh, I think what we'll do now is go through all the bloody um, uh, landing page, no, not right, websites that we can go through, yeah? I can yeah. guarantee that uh, at least 75% would be talking about the company. We're so-and-so. Yeah. This is what you get, again, on LinkedIn. I We specialise in getting uh, appointments for people. Fuck off. I don't care what you do. <laughs> what have yeah. you got for me today? Huh? Yeah. That's what... The secret is of success in this business, thinking if I say something where people will say, oh, they've got something for me. And then you prove that what you say is true. And then you deliver what you promised, plus a bit extra. Uh, my, my boss, uh, when Ogilvy lived in his chateau and he didn't really run the company. Um, it was run by a guy called Ken Roman. Very interesting man. And Ken, I, Ken invited me to lunch, my breakfast with him in New York. And he, that was, this is when he was saying, we'd like you to be the worldwide blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was just fascinated by what, I'm fascinated by people. Huh? So yeah. particularly interesting people. So I said, what do you think makes David different, Ken? And Ken said, hmm. He said, well, he said, I'm pretty determined. He said, if I try something and it doesn't work, he said, I won't give up. He said, I'll try again and again. I'll try for a year. I'll try for two years. And only then will I give up. He said, but David never gives up. <laughs> and I remember the man who edited uh, Ogilvy on Advertising, which is a fantastic book, which most Ogilvy people haven't bothered to read, the idiots. Um, um, he, he, I said to Joel, who was, he was the creative director in Chicago, and we were having, uh, I used to do a lot of drinks and dinners. We were having dinner one night. So I said, what made David special, Joel? And he said, oh, he said, he said when he was here in Chicago, he said uh, he worked in the office, and I used to go in on a Saturday morning to do some work because I'm quite diligent, and David would already be there. And he said, and then I would go home on Saturday evening and that would be it. And then I would drive past on Sunday evening and David was still there. I don't think this is a recipe for success necessarily. I and mean, it's just a comment about um, the kind of people who are successful. I, I'm not that diligent. I think I'm fairly hardworking and extremely lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Does that yeah, cover board you sufficiently? <laughs> <laughs> no, I could, uh, I could talk about this for, for another hour. Um, but to what I'm really looking forward to is your, uh, your book. Because um, I'm a reader, like, like a lot of people, and uh, so I can't wait for that to come out. Do you have a, uh, a website? 
it's, uh, uh, it's, it's called uh, You Did What? And it will be all over the bloody place. <laughs> <laughs> you see it all over the place. You won't be able to miss it. <laughs> on your group, uh, it'd be mentioned on uh, the Beer Bourbon and so on and, uh, group. It has been been mentioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. It'll be like the bloody plague. You won't be able to miss it. <laughs> 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 yes, it's called cool. You You Did What? Um, and it's uh, it's it's a very interesting cover, <laughs> but not as interesting as the as the uh, the, the forward is written by a man that I um, hired and trained, who's the vice chairman of Ogilvy and Mather, uh called Rory Sutherland. If anyone wants to know, Rory Sutherland is one of the funniest men alive, and he sent me at three o'clock this morning his. His introduction, which is yeah. absolutely hysterical, uh, because I he tells me things that I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember a lot, <laughs> yeah. but he's written a very long introduction, which uh, is extraordinarily funny uh, about what we used to get up to in Soho, and by God, we used to get up to something. I always remember in the agency I had, we used to arrange for people to have jaunts to make them happy. You know, people talk a lot about. Uh, how to manage people, how to build loyalty, blah, 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 long books about it. It's all bollocks. I used to say, you know, I, do, I make them happy. Ogilvy came into, uh, into Ogilvy and made the uh, office in Soho where I was one day and he said, he said, Drayton, he said, tell me what you do. He said, you're not the chairman. You're not the creative director. He said, you know, what do you do? And I said, I said, I'm in charge of entertainment, David. <laughs> he said, what do you mean by that? I said, my job is to make people enjoy it so much that they come in early and leave late and enjoy the intervening period. We used to have, uh, we used to have car rallies. And I remember we, we had where you, know, you were given the keys to where you had to go to. And we went, we took yeah. the whole staff down to, uh, down to a place on the south coast. It was a school actually. And I always remember the boyfriend of one of the, the girls who worked for me uh, were climbing up the drain pipe to the third floor of this place. Floor. Yeah, this guy is now a high court judge, judge in England. <laughs> All the good people are crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see that. I better stop. That's another great lesson. Be, you have to have a little bit of crazy in you. Well, thank you very much for talking to me, and I hope anybody, anybody who was listening enjoyed it. Yes, Just yes. Uh, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a book that uh, um, uh, that's. Uh, if you're listening on on iTunes, then um, go to geniusesofcopywriting.com. I'll put links uh, to everything there. But but yeah, um, I do appreciate you taking the time out to to regale us with these stories. It's most entertaining, but also instructional. So. Thank you um, very much. I, I appreciate your time. No pleasure. I've got somebody else in half an hour. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Geniuses of Copywriting with Brian Casagina. To get the full transcript and all the resources mentioned on today's show, go to www.geniusesofcopywriting.com now.